Hello and welcome back to Books in the Biz. We are here for another exciting episode. Rich, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? I am doing wonderfully. It is a cool Wisconsin day, but uh, I am indoors, so I'm going to enjoy that. Um, so I came across something. It's another Wall Street Journal article. Well, I hate to do two back to back. Uh, I did find this interesting, and I'll show you what I mean. First, I've got a video. So we are now multimedia. I'm going to plug this in here and you watch this rich and tell me what you think all right here we go and thank you to uh cbs san diego for publishing this because it's a nice short one do you feel overworked burned out and not rewarded for your hard work some workers are saying fine they'll just quietly quit quit working so hard without actually resigning from their job. CBSA's Abby Alford shares this new work culture going viral on TikTok and how to deal with it. This term quiet quitting on TikTok doesn't technically mean you're quitting your job. You're just quietly pulling away from your nine to five doing the bare minimum. Older generations may balk at it, but this could wake up some employers and help the workforce. I recently learned about this term called quiet quitting. The term quiet quitting is making quite the comeback since the 1999 movie Office Space, with the hashtag gaining more than 20 million views on TikTok. You're not outright quitting your job, but you're quitting the idea of going above and beyond. You're still performing your duties, but you're no longer subscribing to the hustle culture mentality that work has to be your life. In American culture, we have what's called an ideal worker norm which is the, the best worker is available at all hours. San Diego State University Associate Professor of Psychology, Dr. Lacey Barber, has published her research on telepressure and the workforce. These conversations are happening at all age levels in the organization. The pandemic sparked this new work culture and is putting mental health first, where this quiet quitting means workers are not going the extra mile, not working overtime or checking emails and text after hours. Barbara says before, the office had structure, but now remote work creates fewer boundaries, leading to more burnout and job creep, where you're tasked with more work than you are paid for or not rewarded. Not doing a job with two to three people, you know, stuff like that. This comes at a time when Gallup released a poll that shows in 2020, worker engagement went down for the first time in a decade to 36% and continues to dip to 32%. Barbara says there needs to be what she calls sustainable engagement amongst co-workers and managers. So there's that. Now that took place a year ago. Let me show you what they're talking about now. So let's switch to the article. And here we go. Today, we are talking about... The new headache for bosses. Employees aren't quitting. What's the deal, Rich? <laughs> I, I think there just is a, um, there's definitely an inflection point. And the question is, who's really uh, out in front of it? Um, I would say that for a while there, the employees really were out in front of, you know, making change from the fact that there was, an outside influence, call it COVID, you know, call it that whole, you know, stay at home mentality. They got the taste of being at home, working from home. Um, so they started to basically say, you know, we're really in charge here. And I think there are some employers out there who have basically said, well, let's wait for it because the market's going to change yet again when the pandemic's over. And so 
you know, there is sort of a battling back and forth. And I think there's, you know, a lot of parameters that go into it. Um, not just, you know, this one doesn't want to work and the employer wants them to work more. I think there's a lot more to it than why this is an overall kind of uh, issue that everybody's having to deal with. Um, but I think, you know, we're coming out at the end now where we're going to figure out what's the balance. So my question here is, is everyone really having to deal with it? Because I know in my personal experience, if I talk to the companies that I typically work with, um, they're still on the other side. They can't keep their employees. They can't find new employees and turnover for them is a huge issue. People walk out the door constantly and they're trying to figure out ways to, to keep people in wages, benefits. They, they pretty much exhausted all measures. What I did find interesting about this article, um, you know, as they're talking about things like great resignation, which are all terms that we remember, yep. uh, you know, they, they really pointed out that a lot of these companies that they talked with are financial companies in large cities, large financial companies. I think we yep. have them here. Um, and I know you skimmed through this too, but I think Wells Fargo was one of the companies. I think Morgan yep. Stanley was one of the companies. Yep, here, Morgan Stanley. Uh, they laid off about 80,000 people. And they're talking about doing more layoffs because they can't get people to leave. What's different in the financial world, do you think, versus some other industries? Well, I think that one's definitely got a got a problem with size. You know, yeah. I think size is probably the first thing that comes to, to mind. You know, Morgan Stanley is not a small business, right? Majority of the United States, majority of, you know, I, I want to say global. I'm not really sure of that statistic, so I'll be careful how I say that. Um, but I think, you know, small business runs a lot, you know, and it runs a lot differently than these bigger companies. So when you when you consider somebody like Morgan Stanley, you know, they laid off eight, 80,000 people and you're sitting there saying, you know, I don't have any companies in my roster that are 80,000 people. <laughs> exactly. so, so that right there means there's potentially a disconnect, again, like you said, between somebody like Morgan Stanley who, you know, adjusts their headcount because of a whim on a weekend, <laughs> you know, um, versus the small guy who, you know, like you said, is desperately trying to find the right people to build something that could be 10 employees. It could be 50 employees, could be 100, you know. Um, those people, I think, are still struggling, you know. And so I think there's a size factor. And then I think there's an industry factor. Yeah, I also think there's other factors involved. And one of the key ones is who's leaving. So who's leaving, who's not. And I believe there is still a bit of this quiet quitting going on. And the people that are leaving are the people that these companies probably don't want to leave. They're the high performers. They're the people doing their jobs extremely well. They're the ones that could be potentially groomed for upward growth. And I don't think this now is industry specific or size specific. I think we're still looking at people that maybe are not as productive and not as employable sticking around partially because they realize that and, and maybe partially because the company lets them do that. While you have people that have more capabilities, more ambition, more go-getiveness, I guess that you could call that a word, um, they're the ones looking at leaving and, and they are the ones walking out the door. So what is all this really you know, apply to, you know, when we talk about 
the companies that we're talking about, which I would say are more kind of mid-tier companies that don't have, you know, 80,000 people would be 10 times their staff in most cases, or even more. How does that affect them? Well, in my opinion, this still is a concern because we haven't taught leaders to be better leaders. So we still see good people walking out the door and maybe underperformers sticking around. You know, I think there's a there's another kind of question mark there, too, for me. I mean, somebody like Morgan Stanley, I think years ago when I was working for, you know, Price Waterhouse, when you were talking about these numbers, you know, people like Morgan Stanley would bring 80 people in at a clip and they would put them into a training session, you know, for this quarter. And then they would be hiring another 80 people for the next quarter. And they were big on training. So the people that they could bring in were not necessarily you know, Morgan Stanley educated specific, they were going to educate them to be Morgan Stanley specific. So, you know, Pricewaterhouse did the same thing when I was there. And I'm, I'm sorry, Pricewaterhouse for using your company name, but I did work for you. So I can do that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I came in, there was 30 of us in one office, there was 30 of us that went through 30 days of training to become Pricewaterhouse people. So, you know, is there a difference then when they're able to go out and say, you know, this person seems to have the acumen that we can train them to be a, you know, Morgan Stanley person, you know, Price Waterhouse people within two years, my 30 person class was at least cut in half within four years, we were down to a handful of people. There were only two people out of there that were even potentially going to reach partner at Price Waterhouse. It was just the way that it was. So, you know, the larger company kind of plans for it. The smaller company doesn't necessarily plan for it. They get to the point where they're like, I need another person or I need another two people. So I think the mentality is a little different too. So I'm more worried about the people like you and I deal with the smaller companies that are in that mindset that still can't find people, but they needed somebody six months ago. And Morgan Stanley's pulling 80,000 people in so they can fire them in, <laughs> in a year, you know? Um, so, you know, long-winded rant there, but I think the size really does come to me as being an issue. Well, it, it's a good point because larger companies with bigger payrolls and more resources can definitely play the, we'll throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. And as you pointed out, you know, if you were in a, in a group of 30 and by the time you got through kind of that three or four years of training and development, there's only five to 10 of you left, if that many at all. Mm -hmm. That's something that a larger company can definitely afford, though I would argue the costs of doing that are extremely high, where, as you yeah. pointed out, smaller companies are going to hire what they need when they need it. And I think there needs to be a hybrid in there because we need to, mm -hmm. I always tell my clients, you're always in, in hiring mode. You might not always hire, but you're always looking for that rock star candidate that culturally is a good fit, that has the skills and acumen that can be a value to your company sooner than later. And as you pointed out, the mentality of a smaller business is I hire when I need people and that's the only time. Well, when you need somebody, you need to think about that six months to a year before you actually fill that position. Mm -hmm. And I don't think most smaller companies have that kind of runway where they can say, okay, I need so-and-so because the other side of this is if somebody does leave, that's unexpected. Now you've got to fill that hole immediately. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a little black book of potential people to fill, that becomes a greater issue. And I think 
all this kind of ties back to a lot of what we talk about with succession planning because those margins are so tight and because those employee rosters are, are also tight as well, you have to do a much better job of taking care of your top performers than you already are. And I will safely say that 99% of the companies out there, leaders do not do a good enough job to keep their key employees engaged, happy, and wanting to stay where they're at. Yeah, I... Um... I have 10 things going through my head on what you just said. <laughs> so I think that you're hundred percent correct. I think that there is definitely a hybrid here because I think, you know, the big companies are a little bit, you know, willy nilly about the whole thing. The smaller companies probably aren't thinking about it the right way. They're still kind of stuck in how they've done it for a long time till now. And I think not only the fact that, you know, you need workers, I think I'm watching entire industries change like from automation, from legal and, you know, and economic pressures that come from outside. It's not necessarily even the owner that's causing it. Um, I think automation is one of the biggest things that I see because it, it's, it's taking away things like even in my industry or the industry I wasn't dealing with accounting and then into finance. You know, the more automation, the more systems that come in, your need for your worker changes because a lot of your workers are going with the automation, the, you know, the, the systems, the, the computerized. So if you move a lot of that over and you're still looking for somebody in, you know, plain old accounting, there aren't that many people going to school for accounting because they're going for systems. They're going for that other thing that where, which is where the whole markets have gone. So I'm a little worried on that, on that side of it too. I want the, smaller companies to realize that if they haven't pivoted a little bit with the outside market, you got to do it and you got to look forward a little bit and be out ahead of it. You know, like, like, like the quarterback, you know, I'm going to throw the ball to where, to where the guy's going to be, not, you know, not throw the ball where he was before. Yeah. I, I think we see that a lot, uh, especially in the trade industries, because for years we have pushed uh, people into four-year degrees and there's nothing wrong with a four-year degree. At the same point, we are shorting ourselves on areas where that automation is not going to be as quick. I mean, let's face it, there is some automation going on in, in the construction field, but some of that's limited. You still need bodies to lay bricks, put in electrical, uh, do the plumbing work. It's going to be a long time before a robot can just automatically go in and plumb an entire house or uh, an apartment building, for example. Yeah. Um, we've got to do a better job of showing people where the work is available and where the future opportunities for growth are available than just throwing them in into college. And I don't want to get on too much of a tangent there, but that kind of goes back to, you know, these companies, these owners that at some point in the future are going to be looking to this younger generation to take over their businesses, to buy their businesses up. And I constantly see situations where, you know, people... Uh, business owners will put all their eggs into one basket. They'll they'll have a, one or two key individuals that they want to take over the business, but they never do anything for succession planning. They never do anything to groom that individual to take over the company, nor do they, do they put them on a career track that shows them there's an opportunity to own a, a greater enterprise than just be a worker. And then you watch those people walk out the door. 
And mm-hmm. now your key people are gone, but who's still left? Again, it's it's the people that are are maybe the okay performers or the underperformers because we haven't done a good enough job on getting them more successful, which means then the people that left are usually left with all the work on their plate and that's what burns them out. And then that's why they, they either quiet, quit, or they leave. So now do you see that in, in the areas, for example, where uh, I know you brought up accounting and I agree with you, there's not many people left in accounting anymore. Uh, why are people not going that direction? Oh, we don't have enough time. (laughs) (laughs) I I can give you the high points. I think that, you know, some some accounting leadership will turn around and tell you that it comes down to the education piece. They actually passed laws across the United States that if you wanted to get your CPA license, you had to have five years of college, which basically told people that, oh, why am I going to go into accounting? I got to go to school for five years instead of four. I could be out making money and out in the world. You know, instead, I'm going to go for a fifth year. I'll wind up with a master's in accounting. But, you know, a lot of people get an accounting degree and then wanted to go and get a different business degree when they went to their master's. You know, then on top of that, you know, I mean, another parallel, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people about the parallels between the nursing industry and the accounting industry. Mm. And in nursing, you have a little bit of the same thing because it's a very regulated industry. It's a regulated, you know, what you can do to get to the point of getting an RN or, you know, being a a nursing specialist as well. And I think a lot of that still comes down to education. There was an article, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal. We're throwing that (laughs) Wall Street Journal around a lot. But it basically said one of the problems with nursing is they're starting to be able to get more people into the nursing schools, but they have no nursing teachers. They don't have enough people to actually train the nurses. So, so there's plenty of problems out there that can be attacked and addressed and, and open up some of this, some of this you know, backlog or, or conflict that's going on between workers and employers and you know, nurses and hospitals, accountants and accounting firms. I mean, you know, it's, it's running the gamut. There's an awful lot of you know, sub conversations going on, on you know, inside of each industry how they're trying to address these kind of employment problems. So my takeaway from all this is, you know, for most businesses, the situation of employees not leaving is probably less of a problem than it is for super large uh, corporate conglomerations that have, you know, billions of dollars in their in their payroll budget. Uh, at the same time, they do need to watch who they hire, when they hire, what they hire and who they keep, because you still might have the problem where certain people will not leave and they could be the ones causing your good people to go. So you have to consider that. How about you? Yeah, my takeaway is also that I think this is going to be going on for a while. I think there definitely has to be some movement in, um, in things we're probably not even thinking about, automation, um, creative employment, I'll call it. You know, <laughs> Finding ways to make an employee happy um, which we started to talk about, you know, but you know, they have to be real, you know, there has to be real balance. There has to be some degree of what's the middle ground, you know? And I think once we start to see some of that, then maybe we can really have that 50,000 foot, you know, big picture conversation, you know, but if we're just going to focus on little segments of it, I think we, we lose the ability to actually solve the problem. I think the problem is just going to continue to go on until somebody comes up with something that's just, you know, way out ahead of the curve. 
And hey, that's what keeps us us going and keeps us employed, right? So, Rich, if they need to get a hold of you to fix the financial side of all this, what's the best way to do it? Email's the best at rvaltry at valtrygroup.com. And you can get a hold of me at danpaulsonletsgo.com. If you're interested in this video, please like, subscribe, and always sh- be sure to share it. Uh, but you can also catch past episodes and sign up for future ones if you visit booksandbiz.com. That's B-O-O-K-S, letter N, B-I-Z.com. And we would love to see you on future episodes. Rich, thanks again for all your time. And we will chat with you next week. Sounds good.